Greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Shabbat Shalom, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. All of you in the chat, a special Shabbat Shalom to you today. I got to connect with some of you this morning on the Shabbat Fellowship, and that was truly, truly amazing. Thank you for the testimonies and for the encouragement. Remember, subscribe to the channel, and please think about supporting this ministry. It has been an amazing year, and I fully anticipate as we go into a new Roman year, next year, that we will have more adventures and adventures to come. We are in Acts chapter 1, part B. At this blooming rate, we're not even going to be able to get through the book of Acts by the end of the Roman year 2021. So after I settle in for a couple of weeks here and find my footing, I think I'm going to shift to a kind of Torah portion style thematic teaching on Acts. Otherwise, we're never going to get through it. But I've got to find my feet first and kind of get us synced into this new teaching of the book of Acts. So bear with me. I believe Yahuwah is leading me, and I pray leading you as we discover more in his word. We are not alone. Yahuwah is with us, and we're not a people isolated in this new world, divorced from our brothers and sisters who fought and were victorious before us. What do I mean? We're studying the book of Acts, and here's how it would be in modern-day parlance. Just imagine the disciples, all of these new believers, they're coming together and they're gathering. But what happens if they got a little bit too much into Matthew's apocalyptic fear? Oh, my goodness! What are we going to do? Yahushua just left us. And we got 10 days, 10 days until... We, he pr promised the comforter. Oh, well, you remember that time when John was resting on his bosom and John heard him say something about 10 days and they were going to throw us all in prison and we were going to be scourged? We've got zealots looking for us. They're going to try and kill us. The blooming Sadducees, they don't even believe in the resurrection. They're coming for us. You guys, we got to stock up some pita bread and some olives and we got to get some more. We got to get some long swords and some short swords because they're coming for us. They're going to be taking our blood. They're going to be. You know, there was a few people that were trying to think that way, but we can't be given into that. Now, I like to talk that way a little bit because there's a balance between the spiritual and the natural, but I am trying to grow and mature, and I want you to help me, and let's grow together. But just because sometimes we slide back into the old ways of thinking, we must push forward in the Holy Spirit, looking forward to the hope to come. And we can misconstrue that with everything that we see around us, zealots. Not enough olives, not enough pita, not enough bullets, not enough beans. And the new world, you know, the Romans were the biggest bloody globalists out there. Yes, the globalists were coming for the disciples, just as the globalists are coming for you and me. But we are not about the Romans, and we are not about the globalists. We will be triumphant if... We can continue to help one another with our thinking. 
and our input and our outtake. So I like to have a little fun with you because you know I'm not going to leave thinking about the Romans totally because I am very alert. But I'm also aware not to be so triggered by everything apocalyptic because I want to have more shalom and more power in my life as I know you do, which is why we're on this journey together. And then in the 12th verse of Acts chapter 1, just to give you a little bit of a setup, we're going to talk about the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit today. Yes, I may even touch on tongues. And you know I'm going to talk about a field of blood. And if I talk about a field of blood, you know I'm going to be tempted to get into DNA. And you know where that can lead, don't you? So don't be disappointed. We will touch on the globalists because I'm so tempted to do it. But I'm going to do it in an inspirational way, hopefully not a fear-based way. Let's look at the 12th verse together. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olives which is from Jerusalem, a Shabbat day journey. So look at the timestamp markers. After the resurrection of Yahushua, the writers of the Bible are still using the Sabbath as a timestamp marker. That's very important information for us to know. And then they came back. They went up into an upper room where there were staying Kepha and Yaakov and Yochanan and Andre and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matisyahu, and Yaakov the son of Alphahai, and Shimeon the zealot, and Judah, Yehuda, the brother of Yaakov. Verse 14. These all continued in one accord in prayer and supplication. So no matter what is going on out in the world, if we can come together in prayer and supplication, that's going to give us the right setting to be able to endure any 10 days, whatever those 10 days were. Here, the context of the 10 days was Yahushua had ascended and there was this place of distance, a void before the filling of the Ruach HaKodesh. Now, we could, we could extrapolate that all the way out and go back to Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, and we could say, well, what about our 10 days? Is that going to be the tribulation? Well, even if it is, if we can come together, wherever we are, where two or more are gathered there, so am I, in that prayer, in that supplication, we will, will we endure? We will endure. And I dare say, when that intimidation, fear comes upon you, as it does often come upon us all, in that moment, you can pray, and Yahweh will do amazing things in the moment, right there in the moment. And if I see something impending coming at me, then I pray, and things change. So remember that as we approach these days, the power of prayer in the moment. He will give you the words, and he will sometimes make you invisible and able to do amazing things or give you favor where you never even asked for favor, you just wanted to be delivered from fear and anxiety. Acts is so refreshing for me because Yahushua came to restore not political power, Acts chapter 1 verse 6, but spiritual power, verse 8, to Yahuwah, to Yahuwah's people. That is what is important. 
get my eyes, Matthew, off of the political power, verse 6, and realize this is a restoration of spiritual power, verse 8, that's going to set me on the key to success for the next season that is coming, no matter what it is. We can see how the disciples, and we can see how I, you know that, can too easily be swayed by the circumstances around us. All these apocalyptic visions of war, all these apocalyptic visions of conquest. Are we totally alone, or did the disciples have the very same thing? You know they did. They were in a very similar situation as us, but they didn't react how we do in our base level of fear. So we can learn, and that's why I really believe it's important for us to go through this book right now in this particular time, because we are not alone. Yahoo has given us the blueprint for success, as he always does in his word. And I am challenged, as you know, I'm not challenged like, you know, challenged, but I'm challenged to be more spiritual, as you all are too, even though I'm maybe a little too aware of what is actually going on in the natural. But we still have to raise above that. It's easy to fall into even the disciples' trap because they weren't all of one accord initially. Yes, they are here. But let's be honest. And, and what is the trap? The trap is this. Listen. The disciples assumed the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit's arrival in their lives, would be accompanied by these miraculous armies from heaven. And that the last days would mean the defeat of the Romans. That was what they presumed, a presumption. And then they believed, because of that presumption, that that would institute some kind of Jewish rule over the nations. And we're no different. We presume and assume that the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit's arrival in our life, will be accompanied by heaven's armies. And that the last days will mean a defeat of these wicked globalists and the institution of some kind of conservative Torah rule over the nations. And then guess what happens? People get all Jewish, and then they go and move to Israel, and then they end up under the boot of the very thing they're trying to flee, the synagogue of Satan. I've known many people that have done that over the years. And because of this trap, this worldview, both the disciples and us, fail to learn that victory... And I'm, I'm preaching to myself that victory over the nations won't happen until Yahushua's second coming. Which means I have to relinquish control and let go of the fear. And have a hope in the blood and remember my first love. And that will set me free from my inabilities. So Yahushua's response to this in the text, it corrects this, this failure on our behalf by reminding us that human understanding 
will undoubtedly bring about the wrong time to mind. How many times has our understanding projected, oh my goodness, it's going to be Y2K. Human understanding brings about the wrong time to mind. Oh my goodness, the lunar this, the solar that, the calendar cycle. Oh my goodness, look, there's a blood moon. Oh my, how many times have we gone through this? And it's all based upon the same faulty, faulty premise, which is human understanding will undoubtedly bring about the wrong time to mind. It does, doesn't it? So we cannot be dependent upon that. It's the coming of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, for the mission at hand that is important. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit for the mission at hand that is important. It's a mission for the saints rather than for just the restoration of Israel and the, t- and the specific times that you think it is and specific dates. It's not necessary for us to tabulate and calculate it out. Now, I'm not slamming some of you that have that gift. I'm not slamming that at all. But I'm just saying, balance, because I've seen too many disappointments. I've been part of that disappointment. Oh, well, it didn't happen. Well, it didn't happen. How many times? Well, there's, so we can't be dependent upon that. Our focus needs to shift from time and space now, it, it, it may look like I'm, I'm preaching at you, but I'm preaching from my heart, teaching from my heart, because I'm talking to me as much as I am talking to you out there. Matthew, you need to shift from time and space into the mission that is at hand. Well, what is the mission at hand? Well, I spoke to a brother. We listened to a brother's testimony this morning on Shabbat Fellowship, and he was in Egypt, into Egyptology. Many of you would have discounted him. Oh, look at that pagan. He's off into hieroglyphics and Egyptology. But it was the mission at hand that Yahuwah was leading him through that darkness to bring him into the light. And he continued to follow the steps that were shown him, and he was able to come into glory. It was the mission at hand. It wasn't the temporal sphere that was all about him. It was a shift from time and space to the mission at hand in his life. I suggest to each and every one of you listening right now that if you take some time in prayer, you will see that Yahuwah has a mission at hand in your very life. And he has actually given you signs that you may have ignored, that I may have ignored, and they keep continually coming up. But you have to be attentive to it. That's your mission at hand. And if you continue in that mission at hand, and I continue in my mission at hand, we will become one in accord through prayer and supplication, ready for this mission, which is the regathering and restitution of the two houses of Israel in the last days amongst the nations. As the nations implode, there's going to be a resurrection of one new man. I see it happening. I feel it and I see it. So it's a shift from 
time and space to mission at hand, which Yahweh has instituted in us through the Spirit, not necessarily just the events associated with the end of the age, but right now. Look at verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. The number of the names together were about 120. Growth, expansion. And they didn't even have a clue of what was going to happen with the magnified expansion that was soon to come. And he said, men and Israelite brothers, do you see the shift? Just a few verses ago, it was Jewish brothers. But now we're Israelite brothers. There's an expansion because they've broken through the fear barrier into a level now where faith and multiplication can happen. They were just Jewish brothers a few verses earlier, but now it's all-encompassing. It's Israel. It's the whole house. There is a faith breakthrough in the apocalyptic men and Israelite brothers these writings have to have been fulfilled which the holy spirit by the mouth of david spoke before concerning judah now they're talking about judas iscariot concerning judas who was a guide to them that took yahushua for he was numbered with us and had obtained a part of this service now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling head first, he burst open in the middle and all his guts and his intestines and those smelly parts, they just burst and gushed out asunder. This is one of my favorite little pieces of text. I love it. I always like to go to this piece of text because it's just gruesome and you can expand upon it. But what's really going on here? Because there are some alleged, and I must say alleged, dear sir, contradictions in the Bible right here between Matthew and Luke. Alleged, I did say. I qualified it, Your Honor. They are alleged contradictions between Matthew and Luke. And they are, well, I want to know. What's the truth? It says this in Matthew, and then it contradicts allegedly in Luke. Well, did he hang himself with a rope? Did he? Did he hang himself with a rope? Or did he fall into a field and burst asunder? Which one was it? Well, we could go with the rope snapped, and then he hit the ground, and then he burst open. Which one is it, Moshe? It's none of them, because that would be gaslighting the gospel. And when we've got a lot of gaslighting going on right now in the nation, don't we? Blooming gaslight. But that would be gaslighting the gospel. I'm not going to do it. But let's look at the comparisons. In Matthew 27, verse 7, it says the chief priests bought the field, the potter's field, which was a burial place for foreigners. Matthew 27, verse 7. Now, of course, Jeremiah, the prophet, speaks of that in Jeremiah 19, verse 1. He speaks of it later in Jeremiah 32, verse 6. And even the prophet Zechariah speaks of the same thing in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12. And then he hanged himself. That's according to Matthew. But then Luke in Acts comes along and he says, 
that it wasn't the chief priests that bought the field. No, no, Matthew's got it wrong. It was actually Judas himself that bought the field. Right? Well, what's going on here? And then Luke comes along and he says, well, no, 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 Matthew said he hung himself. But no, actually, Luke says here in Acts that he fell into the field and burst asunder. Well, what's going on here? The alleged contradiction of Scripture. And there the atheist often goes, see, look, look, see, you can't even trust your own Bible. No, there's a perfect, perfect answer to this. It's called the harmonizing of the word of Yahuwah. They, the chief priests, they purchased it for him in his name. Perfect harmony. And he hung himself upon his sword and his innards burst asunder just as it had happened before in First Chronicles where it is written in the 10th chapter and the 4th verse. Then said Saul to his armor bearer, remember, draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith lest these uncircumcised swine, well it doesn't say that, but we, you know, I'm ad-libbing, lest these uncircumcised, well they would be swine, come and abuse me but his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. So Saul took his sword, and he would have driven the hilt into the dirt, and he literally would have hung himself upon his sword, and his guts would have burst asunder. The harmonizing of the scripture, Yahweh's word is perfect forever settled in heaven, and there is no contradiction in Scripture. When you see an alleged contradiction, the problem is with our understanding. And so Saul was dead. He was dead, dead, dead. He fell likewise on the sword and diedeth. You see? Perfect. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 19. And it was known to all the dwellers at Jerusalem, so that field was called in their own language, which was, of course, Hebrew, Akel Dama. That is to say, Akel, field, Dama of blood. For it is written in the scroll of the prophets, let his dwelling be desolate, and let no man dwell in it, and let his office of service be given to another, be given to another. So the psalm which is cited here is Psalm 68, verse 26, and Psalm 108, verse 8. But this is the important thing that I want to make known to many of you, is that we are quoting here from the ancient Hebrew that was in circulation at the time of Yahushua. This is not going to jive with the Masoretic text that came a thousand years later, of which the King Jimmy and many of our Bibles are translated. We're going to see that this is Septuagint. It's going to line up with the Septuagint because that is the Hebrew that was, it was translated from the Hebrew from about 240 before the Common Era and in usage in the synagogues at the time of Yahushua. So the quote is from the Septuagint. Now, the Masoretic text is different. If you look, Psalm 108 verse 8 says that he may another seize his goods, which doesn't work with the whole context, does it? It has 
may another seize his goods, while the Septuagint has may another take his office, which was the position of an overseer. That makes a lot more sense. So some people can't get over the, cor- the difference between the Masoretic and stumble over it, and many of the Jews, the synagogue of Satan, would use that verse in the Masoretic to say, see, look, they're gaslighting this gospel for you. It doesn't match up with the Torah. And in the Messianic movement, many people fall for it. But no, the Septuagint clears it up perfectly. We are talking about a vacated office here. We are not talking about seizing somebody's goods. Does that make sense? Let me continue on. You see, Judas right here in the scripture is seen as an enemy of the Davidic Messiah. And the desolate field of blood, well, that's his judgment, right? If you're an enemy of the Messiah, then the desolate field of blood, well, that's your judgment. And this is where I'm going to tie it in with the New World Order and the globalists and the COVID-19 because I got it because I can't help it. I'm not going to get into fear, but I am going to make it relatable. If you're an enemy of the Messiah, Mashiach, Yahusha, then you're going to end up in a desolate field. It's going to be a field of blood. It's going to be connected to a corrupted DNA, and it's coming to a city near you soon. So if you are an enemy of Messiah, now is the time to repent and receive salvation, because the enemies of Messiah will end up in a field of desolated blood. It's that simple. It always has been between two seeds. And the enemies of Messiah are going for the blood. And they will end up in an akel dama of their own making. So if Barak wants to go on telly and take the vaccine to show everybody, then I want to be the one that checks the ingredient lists and administers it because I'm not buying it. They'll be putting a saline solution in and telling you that they took the COVID vaccine, right? Because they're all part of, I mean, give me a break. It's all manufactured. If, now, I want to see the ingredients go in and then administer it to the victim myself, push them into the akel dama, if you will. Of course, I'd offer them repentance first, but if not, a boot up the backside into the Akel Dharma and off you go. That's just me. Pray for me, please. I know I need a lot more compassion on mine enemies, those filthy swine. But you know, <laughs> what a world, hey? What a world. But he is. He's, a, he's an enemy of the Davidic Messiah. And you are seeing more and more enemies of the Davidic Messiah all about, aren't you? Everywhere, everywhere, it's becoming clearer and clearer, and I am seeing more of my brothers and sisters in the faith all over the world waking up. We're getting translated into Polish. If you want to hear me sound like a chick in Polish, then we have a Polish channel. I don't know why, but we do. Apparently, the Poles are, are waking up, so this is pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. And I've got this really nice girly voice, so it's sweet. I love it. I never thought of it. I never thought that that, that, that would be me. But uh, hey, at least I'm not Harry Styles, right? <laughs> Crying out loud. What a world, hey? What a world. Most of you haven't a clue what I'm talking about. That's good because you're untainted by the world. Let us continue on, continue on. My wife's not here to keep me in line. And now as she's watching at home, she's thinking, oh, I should have gone with him. 
I should have gone with him. Look, the priests, they purchased the field as a graveyard for non-Jews because it was unclean. It became known for that reason as the Akel Dama. Now, there are 45 quotations from the Tanakh in Luke's Acts. That's amazing, isn't it? 45. And none of them, listen, none of them follow the Masoretic text. None of them. And that's why so many people in the, in the Jews for Jesus and the Messianic movement end up throwing out the book of Hebrews, throwing out the New Testament, because that's their worldview and they're sticking with it. But they're not realizing and going back to the ancient language of Hebrew. And many of you are very skilled and excited about the paleo and the pictographic language, and I fully support that. Just stay in balance, you know. Septuagint and all of that, of course, is very structured and solid. And it's good to examine and delve into the language for sure. Because otherwise you could get stuck in a King Jimmy only or a Masoretic text, and then other little serpents will come along and say, look, your Bible's not reliable. But it is, once we understand the premise of the ancient Hebrew being translated into the Septuagint and then forward into the text we have today. 45 Tanakh quotations, all from the Septuagint, where they are cited verbatim. I'll list them right here. Not all 45, but the ones that are verbatim, meaning from the ancient Hebrew. Acts chapter 2, verse 25. If you've got a notebook, you might jog this down. This would be good in your own studies. Acts 2, verse 25 through 28, cites verbatim Psalms 16, verses 8 through 11 from the Septuagint. Acts 2, verse 34 cites verbatim Psalms 110, verse 1, from the Septuagint, which means the Hebrew translation was translated into the Septuagint. You're looking at the Hebrew, really, of Yahushua's time. Acts 4.25, verbatim Septuagint of Psalms 2, verse 1. Acts 7.49, verbatim Isaiah 66, verse 1. Acts 13, verse 33, verbatim, Psalm 16, verse 10. What I like to do, jot these down and in my own time go back and look at it and just see the wonderful, wonderful sinking of the word of Yahuwah. Acts 28, verse 26, verbatim, Septuagint of Isaiah 6, verse 9. I highly recommend the Brenton Septuagint. You can get it on the river, you know, the old Amazon. We don't really want to support that bastard, though. Do Ooh, that little um, fella, do we? Did that really come out of my mouth? See, this is what happens. You run this secular business that I do, and you get infiltrated by all this. Oh, pray for me. Do you see the battle? But it is in the King Jimmy, that word. So, you know, I try not to use it, but... I tell you, I tell you, I need a mikvah again, don't I? Don't I? Good grief. Help me, please. Pray for me. Now, let's get back on track here. That Jeff Bezos just really irritates me. Sorry. The whole system just drives me nuts. Anyway, back on track. Instances we find where Luke cites the Tanakh, which originates in the Hebrew 
from which the Septuagint was translated from. I want to give you some of these for your own study time because it's really interesting. Acts chapter 1 verse 20 is a quotation and a citing of Psalm 69 verse 26. It is not exact. It is citing it from the original Hebrew, but it's not an exact, but you can see the um, correlation. Acts chapter 1 verse 20, Psalm 109 verse 28. Then you'll go into Acts 2 verse 17. You'll find it in Joel chapter 3 verse 1. Acts 3 verse 22 and 7 verse 27 is, of course, Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15. I love that portion. Acts 3 verse 23 is a citation of the Hebrew of Leviticus 23 verse 39 and Deuteronomy 18 verse 19. Those paleo buffs of you out there, now you can read Acts Go back to the paleo, go back to the Hebrew and get the paleo of it, of that, and then you can superimpose that over these texts in Acts and read it, and that's pretty cool to do in your own time. Give you another one. Acts chapter 3 verse 25 is Genesis chapter 22 verse 18. Acts chapter 7 verse 6 is Genesis 15 verse 13. You're going to have to... Rewind the tape. Now I'm showing my age, aren't I? Not as old as you, though, am I, mate? No. Or you, or you, or you're all a bunch of old tarts in here, apart from you, Mr. 1980s. Good grief, the thornbirds. I can't believe it. The secret's out, buddy. The secret's out. Acts chapter 13, verse 34. Isaiah 55, verse 3, very cool. Bust that one open. Acts 13, verse 41, Habakkuk. Is that how we pronounce it? How was our our tutor pronouncing it this week? Habakkuk? Habakkuk? That must be Baptist. Habakkuk. Chapter 1, verse 5, comes from Acts 13, verse 41, or converse. Acts 13, 47 is Isaiah 49, 6, and Amos 9, 11. Oh, don't get me started on 9, 11. <laughs> Sorry. Acts 23, verse 5 is beautifully from Exodus chapter 22, verse 27. Study that in your own time. I think you'll find a whole week's worth of treasure, especially if you're a paleo buff right there, because you can go back, get the paleo, and now you can read those chapters, those verses in Acts in the paleo, and it's pretty cool because Yahweh was with us. He was with them, and we are part of them because we are all going to the same place, the regathering of the whole house of Israel, and it's happening in our days. The rebuilding of the fallen tabernacle of David is happening right here, right now, today, and you're a part of it. That is amazing. Verse 21, it is therefore necessary that one of these men who have been with us all the time that the Savior Yahushua went in and out among us. So now we've got a vacant office that must be filled. The qualifier of this office being given to another is what? 
It has to be a person who is a witness with us of the resurrection. That's the qualifier for the vacancy of the office. Not only must the one chosen have seen the risen Savior, but he must also bear witness of it. So it's a very particular defining requirement for being an apostle. There's the requirement. But we have to watch out in our day right now for the counterfeit. Because we have, of course, the satanic, luciferic counterfeit happening right before us as I'm studying this chapter. A conspiracy... You always like it when I start with a conspiracy. A conspiracy to vacate a presidential office and fill it with a president-elect Judas. Meaning, someone who will sell humanity out for 30 pieces of Chinese yen and humanity's innards, I'm not messing around here, I know you think I am, and humanity's innards will thus burst asunder into a polluted field of DNA blood. And now I've got to get out of the fear, see? And I've got to get all holy again. See? You see that you... Oh, why is it that I do the things that I do not want to do, but the things that I want to do? There is a battle inside this man, a raging battle, day and night. But I tell you what, when I am carnal, as many of my dearest beloved friends know, you know, when I am carnal, I am carnal for Christ, if you will. I mean, I'm carnal, but it's still all about the kingdom. I just get all zealous and, you know, I get agitated by the wickedness out there. But it's not a super spiritual way to be. It's kind of salty. It's offensive to people. My wife doesn't like it when I'm like that. But my eldest boy loves it, don't you, son? He does. He gets all excited about it. And then the next thing I know, I've got to watch him at the wrestling thing because he's like, right. And he's, anyway, break him up, break him up, break him up. And I'm like, oh, there was me when I was 14. Help him. All right. Anyway, back on the, back on the text. Now, I do want to address something because somebody sent me a letter and it does apparently, apparently, it does go with the text. Let me address something in all seriousness, getting serious again here, about the casting of lots. It's a question that's been posed to me. Matthew, should we cast lots today? I found that when I cast lots, that good things happen. And um, I can get decisions really easily by the casting of lots. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's interesting. Casting lots. Okay, let me, let me think about that. Let me pray about that. Now, I know many people do this today, and I'm not here to criticize, certainly not. I, am not, I haven't walked in your shoes. I'm not here to criticize or judge people that do cast lots, lots, excuse me, but I would like to make a statement 
a statement of fact, and then ask a question. So the casting of lots is, of course, biblical, and it originates in the Torah, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 8, and Numbers chapter 26, verse 55. But listen, it is always, always before this amazing thing called the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh. Always. Which happened, of course, at Shavuot. After the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, we never see the casting of lots again. Which makes me take pause. To me, it seems that after the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, instead, we should not be relying upon lots, but we should be relying upon the indwelling of the Spirit to guide us. In John chapter 16, verse 13, it is written, How bet when he... Really, we'll get into this a little later. When she, the Ruach of truth, is come, she will guide you into all truth. For she shall not speak of herself, but whosoever she shall hear, that shall she speak, and she will show you things to come. So John tells us that the Ruach HaKodesh will guide us in all things, in all truth. So do you think the casting of lots demonstrates a lack of guidance of the Spirit? Do you? Think about it. Of course, the disciples can't be criticized for not relying on a source of power and discernment that they had not yet received, can they? Which would make sense why they were casting Lots. It's the same process that you see in First Chronicles chapter 26, verse 13. Now, when James, though, the son of Zebedee, a little later, he kicked the bucket and died, it wasn't necessary for them to repeat this filling of a vacated system and position, was it? Why? Why? Because the twelve have a role in the fulfillment of the Book of the Covenant Mountain Promise, which goes out to all 12 tribes, a witness to the risen ratifier of the covenant to all Israel, because the 12 are now represented as Israel's 12 judges, the 12 that would sit upon the thrones to judge. It's a reconstituting the 12. It is an important step in the preparation of the witness to Israel. But later when a position was vacated, they didn't need to fill it and they certainly didn't need to go with the casting of lots. Now some of you have already started to get a little bit nervous because I quoted that scripture back in John and I said, she, the Ruach HaKodesh. And I've, I've taught on this many times before in the past, but we've got so many new people tuning in. I should qualify that statement before you think I'm turning into a Hindu or something weird and mystical, which, of course, heaven forbid, should I do such a thing as that. In the Hebrew, the spirit is always female, ruach. And in the Greek New Testament, always neuter, transgender, if you will. Numa, Numa. 
which is a contradiction. Oh, did he say transgender is a contradiction? That's not very politically correct, is it? Well, neither is the Greek translation of spirit politically correct, okay? If we weren't being bombarded everywhere, brethren, with gender ideology, which is logically incoherent, by the way, where they try and make us believe that gender is a matter of subjective choice divorced from any objective biological realities. I mean, I'm not going to undo all of my schooling just to be acceptable to you. I'm sorry, I had a really good education. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just cannot undo all of my schooling just so I don't offend you. You whose education is immoral and baseless upon science. I thought this was all about the science. It's all about the science, isn't it? Isn't it all about the science? You see how easy it is to get wound up, Matthew, but it really bothers me. The idea that gender identity is independent of one's biological foundation is insane. And I'm allowed to say that because I'm a free-thinking living man. The weakness in the philosophy, and it is a philosophy, a philo, love of Sophia, self-wisdom, it's a philosophy, it's a, a love of your own self-wisdom, is you become your own self-determining God, which is what? Narcissism. You see, what's behind this agenda, this trans agenda? It's simple, it's simple. It's ideological, utopian ideas bring about devastating results because it removes natural law where you are left to determine gender subjectively, which is completely insane. But back on track. When hokma, when wisdom, is translated into Latin, Spiritus, do you see, this is my world, I need help, don't I? I mean, I can literally go off, and this happens in public, it does. I go off on stuff, and then I just flip back, and my son's laughing, and my wife would be too, into the spirituals. Is this Okay. I like it. feels good to me. I feel alive and energized everywhere I go. But it is like... All right, back on track. When hokma is translated into Latin, spiritus, spiritus, the spirit becomes male. Mm. The Western belief that the Holy Spirit is male comes from this, the Roman language. It's Romanism. All those boys in the bathhouses, bunch of transgender, you know, it was going on then. It's called eunuchs. Oftentimes, they wanted to do it to themselves. And we think it's some new idea. But it even comes over in the King Jimmy. And don't get me started on King James. 
but you can go and read about the history of the kings and queens of England if you want to. In fact, Charles Dickens wrote about it. I have his book at home. He goes into King James and what he was up to, naughty, naughty schoolboys. The Western belief that the Holy Spirit is male is really hard for people to get over. And then when I start talking about the Ruach HaKodesh being she and female, people ultimately get triggered and say he's going into New Age mysticism and going into all of this Sophia spirit worship, female mother goddess. No, 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 no. You've been flipped by a system that is trying to flip everybody into this gender fluidity, just as they have done in the King Jimmy with the Ruach HaKodesh. They've already done it. They've already set you up. They've already set you up. In fact, my brethren, you will find that your mainstream churches, most of them accept gender fluidity because they've accepted it in their translations. Now, you and I that are orthodox, we're going to go back to Torah. We're going to go back to natural law. We're going to go back to moral law. And we're going to go back to the science of biology. These are strong foundations that cannot be shaken. And we will not be moved by ideology. Do you see? So a lot of this translations over the past few hundred years has set the church up to apostatize. And I am shocked at the amount of people that have gone along with it, with all this fluidity. Why? Because they went along with it with the translation of the Ruach HaKodesh. And now when you stand up and say, no, the Ruach HaKodesh is not male, is not neuter, gender fluid, but is female, always was, all of a sudden I'm the offense. Now I'm into mother God worship. Right? Wrong. Stand. And if you can still stand, stand. No person can have three genders, no matter what those of an unsound mind may say within the postmodern gender identity movement. The problem is eliminated when we turn to the Hebrew and Aramaic texts of the New Testament from which the Greek texts were translated. Now, this is how one scholar puts it, and I like it a lot. I like it a lot. I do. Quote, one problem that presents itself in translating the New Testament from Hebrew and Aramaic into English is that of the gender of the Holy Spirit. English is very different from Hebrew and Aramaic. Duh. To begin with, English has three genders. Of course it does. They're a bunch of flipping pagans messing around in bathhouses, cutting off people's bits and pieces. They've been doing that for centuries. Of course they had it in the language to have three genders, masculine, feminine, and eunuch, neuter, he, she, and it. Right? Thee, they, them. Them, thee, thee. He, his, and hers. Or what is it? He, his, and him. When I see that on somebody's social media profile, he, 
his and him. I want to do some mixed martial arts on that person's skullduggery right there and then. I mean, really? The mayor of Portland has got it on his social profile, and he is the biggest soy boy that you've ever seen walking this earth. Good night, Josephine. It's outrageous to me, these people. But again, it's their ideology. And they're not even living it to themselves. It's just grandstanding. And we have to understand where it comes from. English has three genders, of course, masculine, feminine, and neuter. He, she, and it. Hebrew and Aramaic have no such thing as a neuter gender. They just don't. In Hebrew and Aramaic, everything is either he or she, and nothing, thank goodness, is an it. There is no it. Also, gender plays a much more important role in Hebrew and Aramaic than it does in English. So first they put it in the language, and then they can put it in your brain, and then they'll put a knife in your hand, and then they'll put it into your living. Walking you down the road, the garden path into oblivion. It's all a setup. In English, gender is usually only an issue when dealing with pronouns, right? And what is all this gender fluidity about? What are your preferred pronouns? But in Hebrew and Aramaic, nouns and verbs are also masculine or feminine. And while there are no true adjectives in Hebrew, nouns are also used as adjectives in Hebrew, noun modifiers must agree in gender with the noun. And that's what's missed by a lot of people. Now, in the Hebrew, the word ruach, the Aramaic equivalent, is rucha, rucha. It's grammatically feminine, as is the phrase ruach hakodesh. That's feminine. This is matched by the role of the ruach hakodesh. What is the ruach hakodesh? What is the Holy Spirit's role? To be a nurturer. To be a comforter, John 14, 16. The identifier of the comforter with Yahweh acting, as Isaiah says in the 66th chapter and the 13th verse, acting as a mother. Acting as a mother. Now, in the Greek, in the English, excuse me, in the English, the Ruach is often referred to as he or it. Right? He or it which brings distance. It's no longer personal. And we're trying to get the Ruach HaKodesh in us. How many of you get beaten up and afflicted out there in, in the world and want to come home to Mama and have some comforting? I know I do, spiritually and naturally. I can't wait to get home and see my wife, the mother of my children, and I can't wait to come into the presence of the comforting mother of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I want to go out there and fight, which I often do, then I think of my father. And I think about my father in heaven. And I think about the, 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 the sons of thunder. And I want to call down that fire on those little wicked... You see? But I need a lot more of that 
Ruach HaKodesh, don't I? I'm not talking Harry Styles style here. I'm talking Bible style, Ruach HaKodesh style, if you can see where I'm going. It's clear that the gender of the Ruach HaKodesh, all I'm saying, has been revised in many passages, even of the Aramaic, to agree with the Hellenistic concept of the Holy Spirit as being either a he or an it. So the pronouns used for the Ruach HaKodesh in John chapter 14 in the Peshitta are actually, it's Aramaic, but even the Peshitta, it's all masculine. This would be really odd to a Semitic mind that has been reading the Ruach HaKodesh as female the whole way through the text. And all of a sudden, along comes the church with their transgender ideology, even in the first century, because they were doing some freaky stuff in Rome, okay? I don't need to get into that. And it all comes forward into the 21st century. And you don't think there's going to be some neutering of some cats going on when they stick needles in people's arms next year. There's going to be some neutering going on accidentally, and there's going to be no ramifications for you because you can't hold those drug companies accountable, but you can hold the people that come are accountable that are before your face. But I'm not going to get into the fear. I've got to get into the rock. The hand of revision in the Bible is very clear. The Peshitta and the Old Syriac have he in John 16.8, and the Old Syriac has she just a few verses further down in John 16, verse 13. But then the Peshitta has it in he. So you can see between the Peshitta Aramaic and the Old Syriac, the hand of revision at work. That's pretty interesting if you've got those two Bibles at home. Now, there are tons of passages where the Peshitta pairs the Ruach HaKodesh with feminine verbs and or feminine modifiers. I'll give it to you. If you've got a Peshitta at home, check these verses out. Mark chapter 1 verse 10. John chapter um, 1 verse 32. Chapter 6 verse 63. And chapter 7 verse 39. Acts chapter 8 verse 29. 39. And chapter 16, verse 17. In Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Oh, there's a bunch. I'll put them up in the notes and you can check it out. Go to TorahToTheTribes.com for this teaching. Check out the notes. I'll have it in the notes section. Otherwise, I'm going to be blathering on about all of that for too long. But the Peshitta, to finish on the female here, I might not be finished because I'm kind of talk, enjoying talking about all this gender fluidity because I can vacillate between the spirit and the flesh and get all excited. I can. The Peshitta of Romans chapter 8 verse 16 shockingly opens up with, and she, the Ruach, the spirit, gives testimony. What are you going to do with that? That's a problem for some people, and they get all weirded out when I start talking about Sophia. But Sophia in the Hebrew tradition, Sophia was considered to have been with Yahuwah from the beginning of creation. Read Proverbs chapter 8, specifically verse 27 through 51. She is the breath of Yahuwah's power and a pure stream of glory of the almighty Yahuwah. This is why nothing polluted can enter her. 
for she mirrors Yahweh's energy completely. And when we're in the spirit, we can mirror Yahweh's energy completely because of the feminine attributes of the Holy Spirit. And she images his goodness, which is what we should be doing. So I have to spend a little bit of time explaining why I'm going to be using she as the Holy Spirit, because some people are just watching this series right now for the first time, and they haven't heard this before. It can be shocking, and people can be thinking you're getting to Sophia worship and a bunch of pagan nonsense. No, we're not. In fact, we are correcting a problem that has led us into gender fluidity today, where people are assaulting you because you have conservative views based upon moral laws, laws of biology, the laws of Torah, Torah law, and everything that is in Scripture from 5,000 years up until this time. And I cannot forget my education just to make somebody feel comfortable. That would make me a fool. And if somebody wants to walk off into their folly, that is their problem. It's not mine. There you have it. Take it from the mouth of a man who knows. Let me tell you that for sure. We know that the Ruach HaKodesh is the breath of Yahuwah's power. And we know that we are supposed to magnify Yahuwah's glory. And we can tap into Yahuwah's glory through that nurturing, comforting mother of the Holy Spirit. And in Hebrew tradition, Hokema, Sophia, or wisdom, is known as the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit of Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22. And really, the Holy Spirit is the heavenly counterpart of the Echad plural, plurality brought forth by Yahuwah's side. Now, in the church, many of you were told the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a person. She is the manifest power of Yahuwah that comforts you, brings you into the house, and nurses you like a mother. It's that simple. And how do you get nursed? By the watering, the fluid that comes by the washing of the word daily, and by the bread from heaven, which of course is a soft manna. And that is what we see. What's the first letter in the Hebrew Bible? It is the Hebrew letter Bet, which represents a man and a wife drawing a family under the laws of the house where they can thrive in faith. And that's where Yahuwah wants us. That's where he wants us to be as his children. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, So Elohim created man in his own image, the image of Elohim created he him. Male and female created he them. Male and female. This has nothing to do with Sophia worship or new age pagan mother spirit power. It's simply Hebrew being translated into the Septuagint, Chokmah, which is the Hebrew Chet, Chaf, Mem, Che, which then we get from there, we get Zoe, and we get Sophia. Okay? What really blows your mind and you look into the Holy Spirit is not just one, but seven. 
There's another thing, you know, the Holy Spirit is a person, the Holy Spirit is one. No, the Holy Spirit is a power, the Holy Spirit is she, and the Holy Spirit is seven. The Ruach HaKodesh is not one, but seven. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Revelation chapter 4, verse 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. Yahuwah brought forth, listen, different orders of being through different Holy Spirits. Yahusha was brought forth uniquely as the order of the only begotten. Are you brought forth by all the order of the only begotten? No. Am I brought forth by the Holy Spirit of the order of the only begotten? No. But I was brought forth by the Holy Spirit. I guarantee you that. And if you have been born again and know the Savior, then you have been brought forth by one of the seven orders of the Holy Spirit. So we are not only in the order of Malkitzedek. We are in the order of the Holy Spirit. This is the revelation for our day. Because when I'm out there in the world and I'm dealing with these bloody heathen everywhere and I'm being affronted and confronted and standing up for the power, I need to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit and I need to know which power of the Holy Spirit that I want to be tapping into for my particular circumstance and your particular circumstance and you're you're in. And that is the key to unlocking this mystery. The Holy Spirit isn't some absent father in a masculine format. The Holy Spirit is not gender fluid and neuter, is not a eunuch going to leave you outside the gates. The Holy Spirit is seven ways to empower you and comfort you and nurture you when you're feeling afraid, when you're feeling the terror that comes upon you and your heart's in your throat and it's pounding like a drum. Then the mother and the comforter will come inside of you and give you words. To say before judges and kings of the earth. And all of a sudden doors that were closed were open to you. But we have to tap in to the Holy Spirit. Sophia, that's going to upset some of you. It's only Greek. Zoe, only Greek. Better. Hokma, Mother Ruach Hakodesh Comforter. This is amazing. Yahweh is brought forth different orders of the Holy Spirit. The only begotten. Another order of the Holy Spirit is the Malachim. The angels are an order of the Holy Spirit. There's several orders of angels. And of course, mankind, once he gets converted, is another order that houses the Holy Spirit. And Revelation tells us of the seven. This no means, brethren, contradicts Scripture, but again, it harmonizes with Scripture, just like the accounts of Matthew and Luke are harmonized when you think there's an apparent contradiction in Judas buying the field and hanging himself. No, there is always harmony with the Scripture. One of the seven Holy Spirits is deposited, listen, to bring forth the order of operations that is found in 1 Corinthians. You see, 
and I've used this metaphor and analogy before, there are seven ruachim, spirits, we see that. And there is one gift of the Holy Spirit. There aren't gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's one gift, and that's the deposit of the order that comes with the new birth. And that deposit of the one spirit, Holy Spirit, that one order, brings forth the ability to exercise many operations if you so will, which means you're going to have to overcome fear and unbelief and doubt, which is hard for us. And I use this analogy. The deposit of the Holy Spirit is like a deposit of a car battery. And just because the car battery has been deposited into the car, some of you are just sitting in the car and you're like, oh, look, I can use the electric window, the electric window. And that's all you're using. There's six other things that battery can operate. Tongues, miracles, and you get the operations that Paul speaks about to the Corinthians. It's not the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's the operations. And if you so will, you can have them all going at once because there's enough energy in the Holy Spirit for them all to go at once. Does that make sense? There's my metaphor and an analogy for you. Let's finish up here. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my ruach upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. The Hebrew word there is nabah. And your old men shall dream. The Hebrew word there is chalam. And it means not just a dream, but it means to have health restored to be healthy so you can actually start to view the prophetic. That's amazing. It actually means to be fattened like a child before Yahuwah. Your young men shall see visions. The Hebrew word there is hiziayon. Hiziayon. And it means, it means to be put into an ecstatic state and receive divine communication. And also upon your servants and upon your female servants, in those days will I pour out my spirit. And in verse 22, it goes on to say, beginning with the mikvah, the immersion of John the Baptist, to the same day that he was taken up from us, one must be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barnava, who was surnamed Justice, and Matish Yahu, and they made Tefilah prayer and said, You, Master Yahuwah, who knows the Levanot, the hearts of all men, show which of these two you have chosen that he may take part of this service and calling for which Judas, that Iscariot, that little scallywag, by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. 
And they gave out their lots, and the lot fell upon Matisyahu, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And of course, this is for before the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, so there's the casting of lots. So there's four theological themes right here that will guide us through Acts as we go on in these next weeks. Number one, the deeds and words of Yahushua. Very important. Number two, Yahushua has ascended. It is done. It is finished. He is the exalted Savior. He is the bedrock on which the book of Acts exists. He's the bedrock. Number three, the coming of she, the Ruach HaKodesh, will launch and make possible everything the assembly does within the pages of Acts. And number four, the elect apostles will lead the assembly on its divine mission into the world. And I'm ready if you are. I am ready. Shavuot 2021 is going to be supernatural and super powerful because Shavuot must be understood as our assembly's continuation from the mountain in the past to the mountain in the future for where Yahweh is taking you. Your grandchildren, your children, your generations. He's going to take us to a better covenant based upon better promises, based upon better blood, based upon the power of the Holy Spirit, not man. And that enables me to stay a little bit more calm and be able to navigate the days ahead. I mean, I've been guilty. I've been guilty today. You've seen it. You can see me vacillating between this war and me. But I have people praying for me, and I have people who know the trials that I'm in, and Yahweh has a purpose in my life, and I have to have faith and know that, and I know that Yahweh has ordained it for this season. But I thank you all out there that are praying for me, that are encouraging me, and saying, press on, Matthew, press on. And we know that Yahweh is moving us all on this path to overcome the temptation of fear as it all comes in on the world. I've been guilty, and it did affect me negatively, of ignoring my current mission to the world. And that's what Yahweh wants to take first place in my life. And your life is your current mission to the world. And we can't ignore that. The second coming and the tribulation and timelines, they are important. Don't get me wrong. But they're not supposed to consume our interests. I want to be focused now on my present walk with Yahushua and the mission to regathering the 12 tribes of Israel, you scattered abroad that have been entrusted to this ministry that we can one day come together and we can powerfully move with one another, with your families, out of the exile and into the kingdom together. 
your beautiful people. Yahweh is using you in my life, and he's moving us together. And we are going to be a multi-ethnic congregation that is going to put to shame the wicked divisions of this world because Yahweh is not a respecter of persons, and he's gathering all of his people from Adam forward in the nations, and we will worship the one true living Elohim by the power of she, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Echad plurality, plurality through the son Yahusha. And it's too easy, too easy to get off track. And you know what? I like to have a little bit of fun. And you see, I got off track a few bits today, but I hope I brought us back to where we're supposed to be. We're heading forward. We're going to go thematically. Otherwise, I'll never get through all of these chapters, including the last lost chapter of the book of Acts. Let's see what you've got to say in the chat. Make it salty, make it spicy, and make it funny too. All right, let's see. Chat it up today. I put myself on a timer, otherwise I will chat too long. Live chat. Here we go. We're going to replay, reboot that little so-and-so. And we got the adverts. Oh, at least we got some Hebrew adverts. Oh, look, we got, we got Hebrew adverts. Awaken Israel. That's good. I think last week we had some fitness guy on there. I don't know how he got on our program. Maybe they thought I was looking fit last week or something. Ah, okie dokie. If you want me to pick up your chat, it makes it a lot easier if you redline me, which is at Torah to the tribes. And we shall see. Oh, let me just refresh there. Oh, that's better. Oh, no, I don't want to go top chat. We want live chat. There we go. Just getting better and better. I got to speak to Chris on the on the way in here. Chris Bagwell up there in the woods, in the woods, in some little apocalyptic tribal community. Ah, he had he escaped. He escaped from down south and ended up in Idaho. Of course, we've got Libby Tube here, and she says at J Fig Revelation five six. In the midst of the elders, a lamb standing, as having been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven Ruachim of Elohim sent out into all the earth. Libby is so fabulous. She's always right there with the scripture. Support her and, of course, the Libby tube, because she is a great girl that is really seeking Yahuwah and putting together some wonderful stuff and has been so supportive of me and this ministry. So thank you, Libby. Bang up another scripture as we get along here. Modesto, good to see you back, brother. No, I have faith in the word only, not taught by flesh, just the Ruach. That's what we're talking about. Thank you so much. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Modesto goes on to say, if you don't agree, I understand. I don't consider you a heretic, just wrong. Very strong principle. There we go. I like it. I like it. Chris down there in FEMA, Region 4, Shabbat Shalom. 
Do many debates tonight, brothers and sisters? How about some love for each other? There we go. There we go. We like to see that. Good. Hallelujah worship says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of messengers, but do not have love, you are like a sounding brass clanging a cymbal. Is that so true, isn't it? So true. Let me go down a little further here. Yeah, some Bethany, of course, says the fruits of the Ruach are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Got to work more there on that last one, don't I? Self-control, fellas, dug in the back laughing at me. Oh, you guys know me too well, don't you? I am a firecracker tonight. Diesel Grandma, how is the garden growing up there in Snohomish? I bet it's not growing. It's the wrong season, isn't it? And uh, I, I hope that you are blessed up there in Snohomish. I pray that the fam is doing very, very well. Jar Thompson. Oh, where did you go, Jar? Oh, you went. Where did you go? Chris in Region 4 says, no soy boys. Yes, I concur. Get us booted off YouTube, won't you? No, they don't know what that is. They're not that smart. Nothing wrong with a bit of... Where'd you go? Where'd you go? Kendra Fisher, Shabbat Shalom. Love the glasses. Oh, thank you. These are not a fashion statement. They're a necessity nowadays. Unbelievable, isn't it? Aging. Good grief. Lisa Dolce, the Ruach then is a seven in one spirit, meaning this spirit has seven parts together. Ekad plurality. Don't you love that? Diesel family lives the Nolan fam loves. I'm hoping that says loves. I know it does. She's so good. The Nolan family, and we miss you all very much. Always holding your family closely in prayer. Likewise, I do get to uh, exchange some texts with Diesel Grandpa during the week, and he is fabulous and always makes me laugh with some of his texts. Didn't get the one last night with the head bobber though. Wasn't quite sure. I mean, was that was that like a? I don't know. We'll have to talk about that unless there was some kind of liquid libation in the head bobbing that I missed. All right, Bethany Bagwell. How would you explain to those bringing up the Kabbalah Talmud Shekinah in, in attempts to discount the female Ruach theology? Again, this is again the hijacking of the word. If we understand that the Hebrew in the paleo-pictographic language, then into the Hebrew, which was before the Babylonian flame letters, then you had the Babylonian flame letters, then you get into the Greek, and then as the, as the word got disseminated out to the nations from the tabernacle, it got corrupted and corrupted and more polluted. So when you get into the Kabbalah and, and Talmud and you get into Shekinah, Shekinah, that's, that's totally spirit worship. That isn't something that is scriptural. And I know many people would say, Shekinah glory. Well, hang on, look, look at the Hebrew word, and you might be surprised that it's not Shekinah there, okay? It's often kavod, the glory of Yahuwah, that then is put into this, this spirit that does come from um, these Eastern religions. And we've got to understand, and you guys be careful out there. I love to delve into the paleo, 
but I'll use a lot more um, conservative sources. But you've got to be careful because there is, they've been doing this in Hinduism for thousands of years. They've been taking the Sanskrit, okay, and then they've been taking Sanskrit and getting into all this mother worship with all the many, many deities by the letters and by breaking down the Sanskrit. Now, you and I aren't going to fall for that because we're believers. We're not going to get into bloody Hinduism, Sanskrit. But what happens if you take the same philosophy, philo, love of Sophia, wisdom, love of wisdom, that is in the paganism of Sanskrit and Hinduism, and you just use all those principles, all of that language, and you superimpose it over biblical Aramaic or biblical Hebrew, you're going to deceive a lot of people with your mysticism. So be careful out there. Just saying, always go to more conservative sources. There's, um, I forget, I forget a couple of people. Can you remember some of the, the more conservative paleo people that have been around for a long time? Eric, Eric Bissell is good. And another one is even before him. Oh, um, Jeff Banner, Jeff Banner, Jeff Banner, great, okay? Stick with those people, they're conservative, they're biblical, and they don't get into this weird other stuff where they're bringing in Sanskrit and Hinduism and then layering it over a biblical language and people are gobbling it up like bloody ch ch clam chowder. <laughs> Not that we would do that, but it's as if they're doing that. And um, they're falling for it. And you're like, hang on a minute. Those are all, that's Sanskrit. That's Hinduism. That's to the many gods. Oh, but we're not so silly to fall for it. How about we just get the little gullible neophytes and we'll just layer it over a bit of Hebrew or a bit of Aramaic and they'll gobble it all right up because it's new and it's super spiritual. Hey, uh, you're not getting this boy with your Hindu Sanskrit nonsense. Go and get some of them bloody henna tattoos and go and smoke a joint, you hippie. I mean, give me a break. I mean, I tell you, you've got to watch out, don't you, Jose? Jose down there says, blessings, brother Matthew. Would you shut the hell up and just stop rattling on? No, he didn't say that. <laughs> He's like, what? No, he didn't say that at all. But I don't you I think some people are thinking that right now. I'm obviously thinking that right now, aren't I? Blessings, brother Matthew. Do you believe Yahuwah revealed the Ruach HaKodesh and her purpose as a helper in the creation of Eve? Yes, I do. A prophetic illusion in the body of his bride, I do. And I have met Jose many times, and he is a beautiful man, and I mean that in all holiness and sincerity, because Jose is tapped in to the power of the Holy Spirit, and any of you that know him will realize that he is just so gentle and such a comforting man. He is full of the Holy Spirit. So we thank you, brother, for being a vessel in this ministry, and you've affected many people's lives, brother, and we are blessed to have you. And one day, I hope that we can be trekking along a trail together out of the nations and just rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I tell you what, your help balance me out when I want to go charging ahead and throw a spear through somebody. He'll be like, hold on a minute, mercy, grace, passion, and kindness. You know, 
but you've got to have your Phineases around. You've got it. I mean, otherwise, you've you got to have a few Phineases about, don't you? Shiloh talking about a Phineas. If there was ever somebody who's carrying a spear, it's Shiloh. And he says, isn't it interesting? In Leviticus 17.11, as first mention of blood and atonement for the love of our soul, the Holy Spirit in Yahushua. I'll have to look at that a little later. Leviticus 17.11, we'll tap into that. That is fabulous, fabulous. I haven't seen Brenda in a while. Brenda, Shabbat Shalom down there, and she says, Amen for Brother Jose. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, we've got Cairo Alexander. Pray for their progress. That's correct. We should all pray for one another's progress. And Carrie says, Carrie S. says, our home group is prepping for the fallout of the church. And although there may be some lost sheep out in the nation, we are beginning to think the churches are our mission. Well, that is. If, if you, I mean, Brother Don here is, is a missionary to the church and going into the church. We have a question here. I see you holding a mic. In-house. Uh, John... Ja Thompson, J.A. Thompson, the one from earlier that you lost, um, is asking, is the collective of believers of Yahuwah under the laws of the Old Testament or the New Testament? Well, we are under, we're here on this camera, we are under the Book of the Covenant. I wouldn't say under, under sounds so oppressively heavy. We have been empowered by the Book of the Covenant in Yahushua the Messiah, which is, of course, all the commandments of the New Testament. And, of course, the commandments contained in covenant, not the ordinances not contained in covenant, but contained in the handwriting that was against us. So there's a dichotomy between the book of the law and the book of the covenant. You'd have to check out our teachings on the distinction and the dichotomy between the book of the law and the book of the covenant. So in summation, we should be keeping a holy, holy life. We should be keeping the Sabbaths and the festivals. We should be, of course, eating what is clean and appropriate. And we should have relations that are holy. And we should be holy people, a sanctified people. And we will then be empowered to go and do amazing things in the nations. We celebrate the feasts and festivals of Yahuwah, and we don't mix it with the paganism and the unholy days of the nations, because we've coming out of her, my people. All of that are the commandments contained in covenant, not the Levitical ordinances of bloodletting, because the blood has already been shed, and it is already upon the altar. It's a transference of priesthoods, but it is Torah, but it is the book of the covenant, covenant Torah for us, not the writings of ordinances that were against us. So we'll finish up with James Christie. Would the Ruach be seen as your, oh, see, of course it would. This is exactly how I used to explain it to my children um, when they were very small. Would the Ruach be seen as Yahuwah's bosom and we're praying for you be strong and courageous because this house serves Yahuwah so that is very very good insight 
a little, I'd, I'd like to bring some clarification to that question because there's the Ekad plurality. Yahweh El Shaddai means Elohim. Shad is bosom, die, sufficient. So El Shaddai is not one of Yahweh's names. He only has one name. He has many attributes. And El Shaddai is the attribute that Elohim's shad bosom is sufficient. And he tore out his breast and formed it, and his breast walked, his heart walked upon the earth with mankind called Yahusha. And Yahusha then secured by his resurrection the breast which was the Ruach HaKodesh. So the father's breast brought forth the son and the completed work of Yahusha's flesh breast being crucified brought forth the mother, the Ruach HaKodesh. Which was why Moshe was reliant on El Shaddai, looking forward to Yahusha, and why John the Beloved always resided upon Yahusha's breast. Two part, meaning he knew that Yahusha was El Shaddai manifest, and he also knew that the power of the Holy Spirit would flow from Yahusha's breast once his flesh had ascended into the heavens. Does that make sense? Because his flesh had to go back from where it came from, which was from the heavens. Oh, that's a lot to go for, isn't it, tonight? Hey, Baruch Hashem Yahweh, thank you guys for sticking with us so long, for so long. Give us some thumbs up. It really does make a difference. Subscribe to the channel, and please do consider supporting the ministry. And please start to save up your pennies and your pounds so that you can travel and come together for Passover because I really think we do need to get together. I really do think in 2021 we need to be together for the Moedim. So start pinching pennies, start saving up, and we will figure it out, and the Ruach will lead us to leave the blooming nations and leave this world behind as we travel into new areas of inspiration. Remember, be guarded. There are many that are coming to seek and devour the flock, and they are trying to come in through fear and discouragement, through Eastern religions and mysticism. Stay strong. It's good to be supernatural. It's good to be powerful in the spirit. But we've got to be balanced between the natural and the spiritual. Don't be so super spiritual that you're of no natural good. And don't be so natural that you can't spiritually move in power in your life. It's a balance. It's the refiner's fire, and we're going through it. And I am blessed that you're journeying with us here at Torah to the Tribes.